0: back to week three and congratulations you're now halfway through the study. Now what this means is it's decision time. The decision is what is your group going to do after this study? Are you going to continue on to something else or or is that it? I know some of you right now are saying now wait a minute we agreed to five weeks and five weeks is all that we are committed to and you know what that is what you agreed to and I'll honor that agreement. But I know some of the groups have had such a good time together and that they they're wanting to continue on. Here at Willow Bend Church when it comes to life groups one size does not fit all so we allow a considerable amount of freedom for each group to organize and pick Bible studies that fit your particular group at that particular time. It is also nice to have occasion when the whole church is focused on the same thing which is why twice a year we will offer a church-wide life group experience, which is what we are doing now. So begin talking about what is next for your group. Now, maybe you as a host, you say, hey, this is five, this five weeks was great, but you know what? I really can't lead the group much further than this. There might be somebody else in the group who'd be willing to step up and continue on with the group. Life groups are meant to be organic. And while all of our groups have had recent success. Not every group succeeds, and that is to be expected. It's life. Our prayer is that many of our groups will grow even to the point of needing to multiply and form new groups. If your group has enjoyed your time together, then seriously consider continuing with another study.
1: I want to begin by reading a passage out of Matthew, chapter 28, and and kind of look through some different things related to the resurrection. Let's check this out. Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. It reads, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now first of all, I want to focus on this because some people might even stop and ask the question, Who are the, the, the two Marys that are mentioned in this passage? What's the significance of them? Mary Magdalene was considered to be a devoted follower of Jesus. But you know what? When I stop and read this particular passage, and I see Mary Magdalene's name in this passage, it really jumps out to me because because I feel like I'm in good company. She was a sinner, a, a prostitute, an adulteress, somebody that was truly committing acts of sin that would definitely separate her from God in our eyes. But yet... She came and had a connection with Jesus at one time. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, she had an alabaster jar that had expensive perfume. She brought that to Jesus and she broke it on Jesus' feet and uses her hair and her tears to wipe Jesus' feet. I think obviously with that kind of intimate devotion that she showed to Jesus, that there was a deep connection and that, that, that she had with him. So check this out in Luke chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 44 says then turning toward the woman he said to Simon do you see this woman i entered your house you gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair you gave me no kiss but from the time i came in she has not ceased to kiss my feet you did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment therefore i tell you her sins which are many are forgiven For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Obviously, I think with that kind of connection, Mary Magdalene, Uh, she was definitely an important part of Jesus's life and was definitely wanting to be there at the time of his death to make sure he was buried in the proper way. The other Mary that's mentioned here is the mother of James and Joseph. And you can look at that in Matthew chapter 27 verses 56 uh, where where that's mentioned, but but let's continue to read further here in Matthew 28. Starting in verse 2, it says, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. First, consider the power of God in this moment. In the earthquake and in the lightning and the imagery that's used here, but yet one of the things that really captures my attention is the guards the, the question is how many guards really were present we, we really don't know we know that there was more than one but but if the earthquake didn't wake them up i'm sure the appearance of the angel did i mean that that obviously that bright light and maybe the noise that was there but yet what, what really entertains me is they became like dead men which i think is really an interesting use of the language here i believe that they were in shock and lost all sense of reality. Have you ever experienced that? Uh, Sometimes you can't tell what happened during the experience itself. I think that's probably what took place here, that they became like dead men. But yet, I think it's interesting that the dead men were right there outside of the tomb of Jesus. Just an interesting use of the language here. Let's read on. In verse 5 it says, But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified he is not here for he is risen and he said come see the place where he lay then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold he is going before you to Galilee there you will see him see i have told you so they departed quickly from the, they departed quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Imagine if you were there and experienced this. Imagine the excitement that both Marys had about the news that they were receiving. We've seen their lives at an earlier time and how their lives are changed and are different because of God's power and his grace in their lives. There there are two important things that believers have as a result of Jesus resurrecting from the grave. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, it says this, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. First of all, I want to refer to the eyes of your heart that the eyes of your heart are referring to discernment and the overall plan uh, and purpose of your life That, that the heart obviously being the core of who we are the thing that keeps us alive those beats of our heart that are happening every day to keep oxygen flowing within our body our hearts are the essence of who we are but yet it also provides an ability to help us discern and decide to decide what, it is, what is it that God really wants us to do in our particular lives, with our lives, his calling, his direction. So the calling is God's initiative in bringing a person into right relationship with him. Not, not always necessarily about what, what job am I going to take or maybe what kind of relationship am I wanting to get into or is this person a person that I should marry or not marry. Now, even though those things are important things, and God has a plan and a purpose for that. I think the clear purpose of what Jesus on the cross for us is to save us, to be able to give us purpose and initiative in Him. He's the one that provides the purpose for our lives. A little bit further, the verse talks about the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Sometimes when we think about inheritance, we think that it's related to things that, that we're going to receive from others, maybe our family. Those are important things to, to really look at. But yet this particular passage is not referring to what we are going to receive. But this inheritance focuses not on so much on what he gives his people, but his possession of us as his people. That God created us and made us and he wants us to, he wants to possess each one of us possess our hearts, to possess our lives, that he can give the direction for us. His his inheritance is also about connecting us with other people, other believers that really understand what it means to connect fully with God and to connect with Christ in our lives. So you taking this inheritance of connecting not only with Christ, but with other believers as well. Let's read on in verse 19 to 20. It says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? I want you to really think about just the power of the resurrection, the power of God resurrecting Christ, his own son, from the grave. Not only did he have control over nature, having control over raising Christ from the dead, that that we can then tap into that power in our lives. The Bible tells us that God's power in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We can say boldly, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What do you need God's power for? Maybe you need need to cross from death to life and receive Jesus as your Savior. His power can do that. Maybe you need God's power to overcome a powerful habit or addiction in your life. God's power can do that. Maybe you need courage to continue in a difficult situation or take a risk. God's power can do that in you as well.